You know, Julie, one of life's least pleasant experiences for me, and I think I'm not alone in this, is going to buy a new automobile, right? The whole auto purchase process just, it, it brings me to my knees in terms of I'd almost rather do anything else, but sooner or later, it's a necessity. But what, and by the way, I'm not going to limit this to auto purchases. How many times have you bought a product or a service? And probably what bothers me most is that upon delivery of that product, the relationship ends with with me, the client, right? It's kind of like, here's your car, off you go. Hope you don't have any problems. Hope you bought our warranty program. We never hear from you again. Did you ever experience something like that? It is amazing how that works. You're absolutely right. And I have experienced that in many different ways, shapes and forms, where it might even just be a very small follow-up question, not even necessarily a problem, but it's as if the emails go to a black hole somewhere and the calls go to voicemail and no one returns you. And it just is so frustrating. So sometimes businesses spend so much time on what they call the client experience, but then they shoot themselves in the foot by not completing the cycle. And when we think about financial services and the initiation of an ongoing relationship, there's no doubt we're going to want to you know, engage that client again and again and again, hopefully over a great number of years. I think what really happens in that first 100 days following the sign on the dotted line can make all the difference in the world. Do you agree? Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. In fact, I think sometimes my expectations are so low that when it does go well past the sign on the dotted line, I'm telling everybody I know about it. You're not going to believe the amazing experience that I had at X, Y, or Z. So I think you're absolutely right. So I really enjoyed a recent conversation we have with Libby Gree. And I think of it as kind of completing the, the client experience, if you will, right? It's what happens after the client says yes and assets start to move over? How should the financial professional be in, engaging the client, setting the right expectations? And what I really liked what, about what Libby had to say to us was what are a couple of small things that the financial professional can do that can so set themselves apart in the mind of that client that the client actually can't wait to tell others about the experience that they had. So uh, without much further delay, Julie, why don't you share with our audience a little bit about who Libby Gree is and why we invited her on the podcast today. Libby Gree is the host of the Efficient Advisor podcast. She ran her own planning business for 16 years, culminating in a sale and retirement in 2019. Since selling her highly successful planning business, she's obsessed with sharing her practical step-by-step processes to help other financial professionals achieve the same results. So let's spend a few minutes listening to Libby Gree share with us a little bit about how the first 100 days can really impact your client experiences. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Julie. We're the hosts of the Hartford Fund's Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients. Let's go. Libby, welcome to the Human Centric Investing Podcast. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Oh, well, thanks again for having me. So Libby, I have to share with you that over the weekend, my wife and I purchased a new car. And as I think back on all my car buying experiences, the different dealerships that we went to 
had different approaches to clients who purchased a car from them. Some we never heard from again. Others were almost like overly invasive, but some seemed to mix it up just right. And I know Julie and I often talk about the client experience, but oftentimes I think in the financial services business, the client experience almost comes to a halt when that first transaction is made, right? Clients committed, we're now in the process of moving assets. But you say that the first 100 days of acquiring a new client can maybe be the most impactful for your business beyond just that client. Kind of tell us a little bit why and your philosophy behind that. Yeah, well, there's actually a lot of research that shows that the first 100 days of a customer, client, whatever you want to call them's experience of you is disproportionately related to how long they will be your clients. So there's a disproportional relationship between the experience in the first 100 days and the longevity of the relationship. And this is true of product companies, service companies. It's an across-the-board phenomenon that if a company or a business is extremely in intentional about what that first 100 days looks like, not only will you have lifelong clients, but you will have clients that truly become raving fans, right? Amazing referral resources. And we talk about onboarding in a couple of different ways. And I think the, the most common misconception that especially advisors have is that onboarding is all about the paperwork. It's getting the assets from institution A to institution B. It's the underwriting of insurance. It's the applications. And while that's a part of it, it's just a small component. The, the other two layers that I like to talk about when it comes to onboarding are an expectation setting uh, process where we want to really lay out what the experience is going to look like for our clients and then also build processes so that we can deliver that consistently. But then there's this human to human element. And this is the, the most missed element when it comes to onboarding. And the idea of this human to human is that we focus so much as advisors on this business to business, right? The actual business of getting the money here, the business of getting clients to commit to us, the business of getting uh, someone to pay us a financial planning fee or to commit to an AUM-based product. But really the, the golden opportunity exists in this human to human connection. And being really intentional and really thoughtful about how our clients experience us within that first 100 days really truly makes all of the difference. And once we got this structure right for my own practice is when we saw our referrals just skyrocket. We live in such an experience-based economy that when somebody has a really unique, interesting, wonderful experience, our natural inclination is to share it and to tell others about it because it was something unique because it was something different, because it was something um, just opposite of what people have experienced before. So I think when advisors can start to think a little bit differently about that first 100 days, I mean, you never get another chance to make a really good first impression. And when, when advisors get this right, what we have seen happen is just exponential increase of referrals during that first 100-day windows, which is crazy to me because you haven't even proven yourself, right? Like often I think we think like, okay, before we get referrals, we have to be consistent. We have to deliver tons of value and we have to have this long-standing 
trust-based relationship, but that's completely untrue. We just have to be really thoughtful and intentional about this 100-day window. So Libby, it's so interesting. I mean, I think you're right. The the technical side and the hurdles and the timelines and the, the checking the boxes literally and figuratively of bringing the assets over there, you know, there are so many processes associated with that. And I think you're absolutely right that we put so much energy into that and then the assets arrive. And then from there, it feels like it should just be smooth sailing. How do you help in the coaching that you do? How do you help advisors shift their mindset? Because my guess is for those that have been so steeped for so many years or even decades in the technical process of transitioning assets, how does that mindset shift happen? And what are some of the first steps or examples that you might be able to share with us today that could help broaden the mindset and and think about that hundred days in a little bit of a different light? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because no matter um, how long an advisor has been in the industry, they always have this deep-seated need to feel like they're delivering an exceptional customer experience. I've never really come across an advisor who was like, look, I'm just super happy collecting checks and I could really care less what my clients think of us or what their experience with us is. And most advisors really genuinely want more referrals. They want to spend less time marketing, less time messing with social media, and they want to just spend more time helping people. Everybody says, hey, I got into this industry because I genuinely want to help more people. And so the the mindset shift is really talking about this human-to-human component not as an afterthought or as a, oh, that would be something nice to do, but really as a core competency of any practice and part of an actual standard operating procedure, that this idea of being intentional about building human-to-human connection, human-to-human relationship, going above and beyond just the business side of things and showing that extra element of caring. And, And the crazy part to me is it's not hard. And most of the things that we suggest an advisor do don't actually cost a dime or are so inexpensive, it's not even funny. So it's not that it's hard. It's not that it's complicated. It's not that it's rocket science. It's really just this idea of being intentional and really putting that CEO hat on and saying, okay, here is our vision for what our client experience is going to be like. And then here's the steps that we need to put in place so that we can do this on a consistent basis. So a couple of simple things, right? One of the things that I always suggest an advisor do is look at their communication with clients within that first 100-day window and do a full communication audit. So there's so many different ways that we can connect with clients. And just like, you know, I often use like relationships and dating and then marriage as a, you know, as kind of a storyline for what onboarding really looks like. Um, and it's and it's true. So just like in any relationship where we have different love languages, every client has a different way of enjoying communication. Not everybody loves reading long text email. Not everybody loves video. Not everybody loves snail mail. So by being intentional about how we communicate with our clients and thinking about different love language, thinking about different communication styles, setting a way or setting an example or setting a process that allows us to connect with clients in different ways so that we can make sure that we are hitting clients and and touching them in a way that matters and speaks to them without having to create, you know, 5,000 different customized processes, right? We don't need, oh, this is what we do for clients that say they prefer 
at emails. This is what we do for clients that say they prefer snail mail. By creating a communication plan in that first 100 days that that touches on all of those different points, we're making sure that we're going to interact with clients in a meaningful way that resonates with them. So Libby, would you come right out and ask a client flat out at the beginning of the 100 days how they would prefer to be communicated to or how often or like, what does that look like? Do you like, we relate it to dating and marriage, right? Am I supposed to read their mind or am I supposed to wait for (laughs) him or her to tell me kind of what they expect? Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of one of those razor blades that you have to balance on really carefully because while in a marriage, I mean, hopefully you're in a one-to-one situation where in a client relationship, you're in a one-to-many. So you do want to treat it a little bit differently. Um, So while I think it's important to understand how our clients enjoy being communicated with, as a business owner and as an efficient practice, you know, practitioner, we don't necessarily want to put ourselves in a position where we're communicating with clients at different intervals and different methods, right? So for me, it's more of here's how we communicate with our clients. This is the strategy that we use. Here's what you can expect from us and having sort of a standardized communication plan but wrapping that with some personalization, with some different ways of communicating um, and allowing them to engage and interact with that communication on the frequency that makes sense to them and, and their comfort level. So while, well, as much as I relate it to being married, you know, it is a little different in a one-to-one versus a one-to-many. <laughs> so obviously you have to be clear then on your strategy and your service model and what client falls into what segment. So you can lay that out and then maybe ask for some nuances would you prefer that we reach out via snail mail or email or a phone call and sort of kind of tweaking it based upon the client preferences, but really having your structure and, and that, that system laid out obviously is step number one is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, absolutely. Like we just want to think about it like a five guys, right? Like you can go in and John can get a burger with mushrooms and onions and I can go in and get a burger with pickles and ketchup. And it's the same chassis that they make it on. It's the same process. They follow the same rules, but we still can have a slightly customized experience, but we're both having a burger, if that makes sense. Um, So a lot of what we do in that first 100 days is some personal communication. So I'm a big fan of a couple of different things, right? So not only are we communicating and we're, you know, letting clients know how we're going to engage and how we're going to interact, but a couple of super simple things that advisors can do that are really, really tactical that make a huge difference for clients that can be done virtually or they can be done in, you know, face to face are a couple of different things. So we did, and this always went over so well and our clients loved it. And I worked for a broker dealer that had crazy statements. Like when I would get our, my own statements from my broker dealer, I would read through and be like, I'm not even sure I understand (laughs) exactly what they're always trying to tell me. So we would set up after a client received their very first statement from working with us. So we moved their assets that first quarter we're going to set up a special call with them or a special meeting where we're going to actually walk them through how to read their statement. We're going to start on page one and we're going to go through and say, that's what this account is. Here's where that came from. Yep. It looks like a negative, but that's really just because we made a trade from this account to this account. Here's how you read that statement. And then after the first tax season with us, we'd give them a a call or send a video depending on communication preferences of, Hey, here's how you can 
uh, take all of your 1099s and pull them into your tax software. Or here's where you can go to find the information that you're looking for. Oh, by the way, you get a K-1 now. And here's what a K-1 is. And by the way, it doesn't come till a little bit later. So don't file until you get these three pieces of paper. You know, so just going above and beyond it. And the beautiful part is, is it doesn't cost anything to do that, but it goes a really long way with the client. So same thing with um, insurance contracts. You know, after a client receives their insurance contract, so let's say you underwrite long-term care, which we all know takes, I don't know, two decades or something to get an insurance policy underwritten and put through. Maybe that was just my experience. But by the time it comes, a client's forgotten what riders they accepted, what riders they declined, what was that coverage again? When did it start? How does that work? What's the inflation piece? So just taking that time, and it doesn't have to be you, right? It can be someone on your team that can make these phone calls and host these meetings and do these things on your behalf, but taking the time to actually just make sure that we're slowing down and that we're keeping the client at the center of this, making sure we're being really intentional about how they feel working with us. And for us, one of the key feelings that we wanted our clients to have was this like, oh, I understand. Like, oh, they're not speaking over me. Okay. They're slowing it down. They're taking the time to educate us. They're making sure that we feel comfortable throughout this whole process. So it's those little, those little things within that first 100 day window that don't require a lot of time, energy, effort that go a long way with our clients. And it's such an interesting and such a different and such a unique experience to our clients. They've most likely never had anybody call them and walk them through a statement before. They've most likely never had anybody take the time to actually go through that page three of an insurance contract with them and just go through each detail, making sure that they fully understood what it is they have, why we did that, and just kind of a continual refresher of, Oh yeah, because you know when we're doing plans and we're coming up with like all these recommendations and we're moving all these parts through, you know, we're processing all this different business, we think, well gosh, we explained that to our clients once, so of course they're going to remember it, right? They're going to remember it forever. They know what riders they picked. They know what um you know, underlying investment costs we discussed, but by actually stepping back and taking that time to re-educate, slow down, answer any questions, that's where we're putting that effort in on the front end to improve that first 100-day window, which ultimately impacts the longevity of the client relationship and their willingness to refer when it is something that's unique and different and something they've never experienced before. They're more apt to tell friends and family about their experiences. And that was my next question, Libby, which is throughout your experience with your own practice, did you actually come out and ask for referrals? And if so, how, or did you set subtle hooks somewhere <laughs> in the process or did you simply let the experience speak for itself? How were you so successful then in generating referrals? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, I have an extremely unpopular opinion about asking referrals. I absolutely hate it. I hate asking referrals, not only because it's uncomfortable and I totally sucked at it, but we spend so much time crafting this client experience, right? Documenting it, building out this process that's all focused on the client and putting the client at the center of everything that we're doing. For me, and this is a personal thing, but for me to then turn that around and ask the client like, hey, here's how you can help me. Or, you know, here's what you can do for me now that I've done for you. Just always felt really disingenuous. And I felt like it took all of that client experience that we worked so hard to craft and just turned it on its head. So for us, it was 
dropping through expectations and this discussion of uh, what their experience of working with us will be and what that will look like. So dropping little, you know, hints about referrals, using the word referral, you know, making it clear that that's what we were open open to and that's what we had hoped for, but never actually asking for it. And in my personal opinion, the absolute best form of marketing is doing a really really good job. Because it doesn't matter if you've got the sexiest way of asking for referrals, if you're dropping the ball, if you're making mistakes, if things are slipping through the cracks, if you're not making good on all of the promises that you made to your clients, if you're not adding an excessive amount of value to their lives, they're not going to refer you anyway. So for me, I feel like let the process, let the intention, let let the effort speak, speak for itself and the referrals will come. Libby, what is your stance on asking existing clients for feedback on what their first hundred days looked like? If an advisor is sitting here thinking, you know what, I think I do a pretty good job, but there might be ways to enhance it, or I really want to take a a, a detailed look at this right now. You've hooked me. I liked the idea. What are your thoughts on asking clients for feedback or how, how would one go through and really assess or stress test their existing first hundred days in your opinion? Yeah. So you, you certainly could do that, but I think the biggest thing is clients don't know what they don't know. And if they haven't had an experience otherwise, they're not going to necessarily have a lot of really great feedback for you, right? They're not going to go, oh, you know, what would have been really great is if you would have had some sort of process to capture all of my personal interests and favorite restaurants and, you know, hobbies, like they're probably not going to come to you and tell you some of that stuff. So for me, I think one of the best ways to enhance your client experience or to enhance this first 100 days is to really find out what are other advisors doing that's that's working. Like what sounds really cool? How would I want to be treated? And you can certainly then come to your clients and ask like, hey, we sent out this thing. Did you read it? Did you look at it? Do you think we send too much email? Would you prefer video? What if we did? So like, as long as you're asking the clients the right questions, I think that that feedback and that data can be really, really valuable. But I do think it's working with other advisors, working with a coach, working with somebody who says like, hey, here's this giant list of all of this really, really cool stuff that you could do for your clients. Let's slowly start tweaking what you have and adding in new and different elements. So I think it's really having kind of somebody else speak into your process to help you kind of build it out. And you will then naturally see your client's feedback from that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you knew that I liked fly fishing. Those lures were amazing. Thank you for sending those to us. Or, oh, that video was so helpful. Oh my gosh, I appreciate you. Um, taking the time to go through that statement with us. You know, and so doing those things, yep, certainly asking for feedback, like how was that for you? But we also just have to constantly keep in mind that our clients might not know anything different, right? So if we're wanting to deliver this unique and elevated experience, it's probably not something they've experienced before. Libby, we've talked a lot about the first 100 days, which by nature uh, poses that the rest of our time together might be might look a little different. How much time during the first 100 days do you set the expectation for what the client should expect on our ongoing relationship? Well, I think our clients can we we want our clients to be in a place where they are going to accept but expect exceptional service from us 
all the time. So while the first 100 days, there's going to be perhaps a few more touches, um, a few more different styles of communication, we actually really don't want them to ever go like, oh, okay, now we dropped off that cliff, right? Now we're just in this like normal process. We want to be thoughtful about our communication plan with our clients all year long in year two, year three, year four, year five. What I think is really important is this first 100 days is a big transition from when we talk about how our clients feel, right? In choosing to move their life savings from one advisor to another, they're going to naturally be like, did we make the right call? Is this a good, you know, did we do the right thing? Is this the a best choice? Like, wow, this is a lot of paperwork. Is this worth it? Um, so we're wanting to use this window to really solidify that they made an excellent choice and that our attention to detail that we gave them during that planning process is really going to continue and that they did make the right choice and that we are going to care for them and we're going to treat them really, really well, but that's not going to drop off. You know, we're not going to just drop off at the hundred day mark and go, okay, great. Now we see you once a year. We still want to have a process of client experience that extends beyond that first 100 days year over year. Well, Libby, while we have you today, part of our human centric investing podcast is getting to know a little bit more about you, the human centric side of Libby. So we'll ask you a series of questions. Just answer with whatever is top of mind. If you're willing, let's kick it off. Okay, we're going to kick off with my favorite question. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? Um, I'm a solid six and a half. I, um, like anybody with ADD, I tend to multitask perhaps a little more frequently than I should. How about, would you rather read a book or listen to Audible? I would rather read a book. I, when I read, I like paper books. And when I read, I look like a little bit of a sociopath. Like there are tabs and highlighters and notes in the margins. And I mean, my, my bookshelf is, it's, it's actually a little scary looking because there's all these things sticking out of every book, but I would absolutely rather read so I can really digest and highlight and go back. Mm -hmm. Are you a morning person or a night owl? I am an extreme night owl. When I was running my business, I would not meet with clients before 10 a.m. and three cups of coffee. I just have always been that way. I've tried really, really hard to make that shift over the years, but I just, I absolutely cannot. So Libby, I know how busy you are. Do you prefer a paper to-do list or do you use a digital tool? So I have a little bit of both. Like I, I do use ClickUp for task management. However, on a daily basis, I do have a paper planner. There's something still just very, very satisfying about being able to take a black marker and literally crossing a line through something that I've completed. There's some weird sense of satisfaction that I get from a paper to-do list. I am right there with you. In fact, I've been known to add things to the to-do list after I've done them just so I can have that satisfaction of crossing them off. So 100%. I hear you. 100%. And I, I, I take it to the next level too, where I'll, I'll write things I've already done just to cross it off. And then I'll be like, oh, this looks really messy. So I need to rewrite my Rewrite the list. <laughs> oh no. Oh my. <laughs> Clearly we're cut from the same cloth. Oh, yeah. yeah. You guys are cousins, I believe. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad it's not just me. I feel slightly better. Libby, what's the best age? Ooh, the best age? 
I think all of them. I think every single age just offers something. I think as a mom, especially kind of watching kids thinking like, oh, this baby stage is the best. Oh, no, wait, toddler stage is the best. Oh my gosh, nope, nope. I love them as tweens and now I love them as teens. And even as I continue to age, I just think every single year just opens up. I, I You learn more, everything changes. The world is constantly moving. I think every age is the best age. I just, there's no, for me, I don't know. I've never been one of those people who's like, oh, I'm turning 40. Oh, I'm, you know, I've always just been excited about whatever. I'm just happy to wake up every day and have air in my lungs. Well, Libby, we can't thank you enough for joining us here today to share your thoughts and ideas and insights on the first hundred days and beyond of the client experience. And for those of our listeners that are interested in hearing more about Libby's thoughts and ideas, feel free to visit her Efficient Advisor podcast or check out her LinkedIn page or her Efficient Advisor community on Facebook. Also, Libby has uh, provided some thought leadership in a white paper that can be found at hartfordfunds.com on the client onboarding process. So thank you again for your time today, Libby. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate what you guys do for the industry. Thanks for listening to the Hartford Funds Human-Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at hartfordfunds.com. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed herein are those of the guest who is not affiliated with Hartford Funds.